right, welcome in, everybody. It's a Tuesday morning, and we hope that uh, you had a great Monday and that your Tuesday starting off right. You're making the right first decision to be here. We got plenty of news and commentary for you. This is Tony Beam, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier Campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference. I also serve as Director of the Office of Public Policy and um, at um, the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and I'm Interim Pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church over in Simpsonville. Um, by the way, North Greenville University is not only where Christ makes the difference, but where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and society and glad, very happy to be doing it. All right, uh, I want to spend a little bit of time today talking about the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. And when I say earthquakes, I mean earthquakes, plural. A lot of people are talking about the earthquake that was 7.8 magnitude, which has brought just unbelievable destruction to towns in Syria and Turkey it, the epicenter was in Gaziantep, which is close to the Syrian border. Uh, Aleppo, which is a Syrian town that has been torn by war, is one of the most affected. I mean, you had buildings that were just flattened. And it's at a time and in a place where the response is going to be very difficult because there's just no infrastructure. I mean, you've basically got the breakdown of civilization in that portion of Syria, Syria rather, uh, because of just ongoing civil war. So when I say earthquakes, the aftershocks of this 7.8 magnitude have been almost as devastating as the original earthquake. You had one aftershock that, that got to 7.5 on the Richter scale, and then two that topped six points uh, which is, those are major earthquakes in and of themselves. And then there have been minor aftershocks and in anywhere between three and five on the Richter scale that have continued to devastate the countries and also make it very difficult for rescuers and aid workers to be able to get in there to help some of these areas. Uh, it was one of the most powerful earthquakes to hit Turkey and maybe the most powerful ever in the region when you expanded out. Now, Turkey and Syria and that part of the world are susceptible to earthquakes, but uh, this one was particularly devastating. Uh, tremors were felt as much as 400 miles away from the epicenter, and the video footage, I, I mean, it's, it's nothing less than horrifying. If you go look at some of the devastation, I mean, there's, there, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. There are thousands of people um, were killed and thousands more are likely to be added to the death toll because rescue workers are going to have a tough time, particularly in rural areas, getting to where people are trapped um, and discovering people who died in the, in, the, in the quake, and they just haven't been reached yet. Whole buildings were destroyed, including, in, including one building that goes back over a 1,000 years the Gaziantep Castle that was built under the Byzantine Emperor Justinian around the middle of the 6th century. I mean, it's been standing since the mid middle of the 6th century, the 500s. And 
it's there's really nothing. It's suffered major damage. A lot of the castle is in rubble. We don't know if it's going to be able to be rebuilt, but if it is, it won't be anywhere near in the shape that it has been for over a thousand years. I mean, it's it's literally unchanged. I mean, there have been some renovations made to pres- to help preserve the castle in its original form, but it pretty much stood the way it had for over a thousand years until this earthquake. So it's that that adds to the devastation. Response to the earthquake, as you can imagine, is being led by the United States. They sent two 100 and, uh, rather 279-member search and rescue teams, while other U.S. agencies are ramping up support. And we're going to hear an announcement, I'm sure, probably today. Maybe they might wait till tonight for President Biden in his State of the Union address to use that as an opportunity to talk about what the response to the earthquake in Turkey is going to be. Um, but um, countries from all over the world have poured aid into the region. The European Union has sent uh, search and rescue teams from five member countries. You've also have uh, Great Britain and India pouring aid and personnel into the region. And this is something that if you don't follow Israel or if you simply your information about Israel as a country comes from the mainstream press or Ilhan Omar or um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or any of the ones in Congress who are, uh, I would put Rashida Tlaib in that in that boat as well, that are absolutely anti-Semites, if that's where you get your information about Israel, you might be surprised to know that they've already sent 150 search and rescue personnel to Syria and to Turkey. Um, And Syria is a sworn enemy of Israel, and Turkey's not much better, only slightly because there are still remnants of some form of of a republic or a parliamentarian government in Turkey, which has more and more been leaning toward um, Islamic domination. But for for Israel to do that, I mean, it just speaks of the character of the Israeli people and the fact that something that we need to pay attention to, civilization breeds the opportunity for countries to step in to parts of the world when they're devastated by natural disasters when they would have no ability to do so themselves because they just don't have the infrastructure or the the civilization that is the the structures of civilization that would allow them to recover from something like this and now that's particularly true in Syria um, Syria without outside help would be devastated for decades. Turkey, on the other hand, has a, a much better structure of civilization in their country, um, and so they're going to be able to respond. They're still going to need help, but they would be able and are able to respond much better than Syria because of constant civil war. And if you're if you're thinking, you know, if we want to think about this from a Christian worldview perspective, we need to see that humanity is always drawn together under human tragedy circumstances. When you have some kind of tragedy like this, even Russia and Ukraine are sending aid to this area. Can you imagine? I mean, these are two countries that are locked in a death grip. I mean, the Russians are preparing a major 
uh, war offensive against the Ukraine, which will likely begin in the next month or so with hundreds of thousands of soldiers. The West is rushing um, military equipment into the Ukrainian army to try to give them an opportunity to push back against this surge. And yet in the middle of this, they've stopped long enough or at least paused long enough to send aid workers to a place where a human tragedy has taken place. And so it speaks of the nature of, of, of humanity. You know, when, when terrible things happen, we're drawn. There's something about us that draw us to try to assist one another. And a lot of that stems from the fact that we are created in the image of God. There is a I don't want to call it a residue, but it's it's a leftover of of the compassion that God places in each person. Now that that passion and compassion for people has been marred terribly by sin. But when something as bad as this human tragedy takes place, this earthquake, uh, there's something about it that causes humanity in general to lay aside hostility for the sake of of alleviating the suffering of innocence. Um, and, and, and here's another thing to think about in terms of that part of the world. It's not known for its stability of government. Syria, of course, uh, as we talked about earlier, is has been devastated by civil wars. Here's something that we need to know. State Stable governments ruled primarily by some system by which the people are in charge and allowed to rise to their potential create the kind of wealth and stability and platforms that allow them to respond to disasters in parts of the world that are torn by generations of strife. So, you know, it, it is one of the blessings of the United States that we have seen stable governments for over 200 and what well, we're getting close to 250 years now. We've seen a, a government system and structure which, although has a myriad of problems that we talk about on this program regularly, uh, it has provided the stability and the structure for individuals to grow in wealth and compassion. I mean, it's great to have the compassion to help somebody. It's another thing altogether to have the resources to actually do it. And what is needed for both of those things, in order for a stable government and a stable civilization to exist where they can reach out to places when they're torn like this, um, it requires personal responsibility and accountability and it requires the freedom for people to grow their own wealth and to create collectively the kind of environment where we have the ability to help other countries when they go through this kind of devastation. So as we pray for Turkey and Syria, we need to think about those things from a Christian worldview perspective. Joe Biden in the State of the Union address, he's going to deliver his—this is the second one, right? He came in and—yeah, yeah, second State of the Union address— and, and, of course, he's in the middle of a controversy over this Chinese surveillance balloon that lounged around for about eight days over the U.S. mainland um, while the Biden administration waited for it to get out over water. And there's still a lot to be learned about that. I mean, we don't know how much information the Chinese were actually able to glean uh, from this uh, balloon while it was over U.S. territory. Um, the Pentagon says that they jammed the signal, so they couldn't. They weren't going to get any information. 
Um, there are military experts who dispute that and who say that, yeah, they might have jammed some of the uh, information gathering devices, but depending what was on there, knowing what the Chinese have, there's some of the information gathering devices that couldn't have been jammed. So, I look, I have no idea. I don't work in the U.S. military. I'm kind of dependent on these stories as they come out. I look at different sources and try to figure out what's what. But I did want, before we move on to talk about the State of the Union address, I did want to mention something that I found interesting that sort of relates to the Christian worldview. And you may, you may say, well, now, wait a minute, this is a stretch. But actually, it's not. One of the ways that we know when we look back at ancient history and we look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus— one of the ways we know the resurrection is true is because, and that we know the Bible is dependable, is because it was written during the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Now, we say that. I mean, I, a, apologetic speakers and people who talk about Christian worldview, they say that kind of thing all the time. And I think sometimes people scratch their head and go, well, what are you talking about? Well, it simply means that when the stories about Jesus' miracles that he performed, the stories about the way that he died— and the things that he said, and especially his resurrection from the dead, when these stories were being collected, the eyewitnesses were still alive. And that's something that's rare from antiquity, because when you look at the gap between uh, the history of, say, Alexander the Great, and when those stories were actually collected, there's hundreds of years. So, you know, people are looking back on events and picking up pieces of written documentation and stories that were handed down, but nobody is around when the stories actually were written down who would have witnessed the events, whereas the events of the gospel, those were the, the, the eyewitnesses were still alive. I mean, if, if when you look at uh, the Gospel of Mark, for example, or Matthew, which was Mark's probably the earliest gospel, and it has a date, some date it even in the 40s uh, A.D. Most put it in the 50s, somewhere around the mid-50s. And then you have Matthew, Luke, and John all coming out at, at later dates. But the point being, if Jesus— was crucified anywhere around circa 33 A.D., uh, which there's a, a few years in there that we're not sure about. But let's just say, let's just pick that date, 33 A.D. Mark's gospel is circulating at least by 50 A.D. That's 17 years. So the people that would have been with Jesus and would have uh, heard these stories, seen these events, are still alive. So you start circulating stories that are false, what's going to happen? Those people are going to come out and say, hang on, whoa, that never happened. I mean, I was there. I saw. You, know, you don't have that. In fact, you have the opposite. The Bible tells us there were over 500 witnesses to the resurrection. And so the, the accounts are being relayed by people who actually saw the events or heard the words being spoken. And so it's almost impossible to falsify something because they're going to they're gonna pitch a fit if things are floating around out there that are not true. Now, no pun intended, but let's get back to the balloon after I said things floating around out there. Think about what happened with President Trump and his top 
security people when the Pentagon came out after Biden was being soundly criticized for this balloon floating over the, the United States. You know, the, the Pentagon comes out and says, oh, oh, well, well, there were actually three times, count them, three times when balloons from China flew over the southern part of the United States briefly during President Trump's administration, and he didn't shoot them down. Well, immediately, President Trump comes out and says, what the heck are you talking about? And not only President Trump, but former National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, John Bolton, and H.R. McMaster. And all of them would have known if something like this would have been seen or heard. It happened during the time that they were in office. They were eyewitnesses. And immediately they came out and released statements and said, Show us the proof. There is no evidence. We were there. So what what are you talking about? And then the Pentagon had to come out and say, well, um, actually, um, yeah, we know that you guys didn't know. We're going to send some people over to brief you because we've got some intelligence now that looks back and we can tell that these things happen based on the intelligence looking back. And they're trying to project this onto eyewitnesses who were part of the original story. And so you see how that works? You can't get away with that, not in the 21st century and not in the first century, because eyewitnesses are still around who have seen and heard and know the truth. And if you try to put out something that's not true or at the very least is questionable. Now, Am I going to leave the door open for the possibility that there's some kind of intelligence out there that I'm not aware of that can prove that that balloons crossed the, some part of the United States from China before? Yeah, I'll leave that door open, but it doesn't matter. The point is still the same. When they made that claim, before they said anything about the intelligence apparatus, they just simply said, look, this happened under Trump, and Trump didn't do anything. Then they had to admit that Trump didn't do anything because, he, at the very least, he didn't know because nobody knew. That information was not available until Biden came into office. And so the eyewitness testimony, how important is it? How important is it to look back to the first century and understand that eyewitness testimony would have been the same in its response to things that were said about Jesus that were not true had those things been put forth. And yet, all of the witness testimony supports the Gospels and the story of the resurrection. Tonight, President Biden is going to give his uh, uh, second State of the Union address. And we talked about one of the challenges, of course, is the criticism he's faced over the balloon, the Chinese balloon. But he's also going to be delivering this speech at a time when his approval ratings are hovering in the high 30s and low 40s. Now, he had kind of a rebound after the midterms because the midterm elections were predicted to be a blowout for Republicans, and it turned to be nothing but a little bit of air escaping out of the tire. I mean, it, 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 was, it was no blowout for Republicans. It was the Republicans took the House. They've got about a 10-seat margin. Um, it's, it's not a lot of margin for error over there. Um, it is going to help us in the sense that it's pushing back against some of the worst of the progressive policies that would come out of the Senate and that Biden would be behind and is keeping the Democrats somewhat in check. 
but in the, in the by the same token um, we were expected to take the, there were predictions we were going to take the Senate we were going to win all these governor's races and and, and maybe have a 30 to 40 seat majority in the house um, and and of course that didn't that didn't happen so Biden's approval ratings got a bump because of that but since then you've had the document scandal and it's taken Biden's ratings along with some major gaffes and an economic speech he made that was just full of whoppers. I mean, just outright misrepresentations. And I'm, I'm going to get to that in a minute because I, I suspect that you're going to hear a lot of the same information coming tonight in the State of the Union address that was misspoken in an address that he gave back at the end of January on the economy. That's what he's going to want to talk about. He's going to want to talk a lot tonight about the economy. Um, and, you know, he's going to talk about, of course, his uh, some of his pet projects, global warming and, and all of this and the strides that they're making. Uh, energy, he's going to talk about energy independence and how the United States is moving toward renewable energy sources uh, while we're paying high prices for gas and basically receding in a position that could have us as the major energy exporter and producer in the world. But we're not going to do that under the Biden administration because they want everything to be green immediately. Um, So with approval ratings back down because of the document scandal and some just plain out missteps that he's made, um, he's going into this address. By the way, President Biden says he didn't bear any responsibility I don't know if you heard this the other day, but he actually came out and said, I don't have any responsibility for the classified documents that have been found in five different times now in in, in these different locations. I'm not responsible for any of it. Only 16% in an ABC poll, 16% of the American people, his own party doesn't even believe him. 16% of the American people say that they, they, okay, he's not responsible. That, that's as much as he can muster in terms of support for that outrageous statement. So if he tries to push that again, uh, I don't think he'll mention the documents, of course, tonight. He might in passing. But if he does and tries to say that he doesn't have any culpability, that is not flying with the American people. Um, a couple of other things that's not working too well. The AP uh, N-O, uh, NORC Center for Public Affairs Research got together and did a poll of Democrat voters and discovered right now only 37% of Democrats want Biden to seek a second term. Now, it's worse with the ABC Washington Post poll that shows that only 31% of Democrats want him to seek a second term. I mean, this is these are tank numbers. These are numbers that are disastrous. These are the kind of numbers that are almost impossible to overcome. Now, there's conversations out there today about can Biden turn things around with the State of the Union address? No. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that that question is even being answered. You know, if you've got a, an approval rating that's slightly underwater, Let's say it's 49% and you want to get to 52%. You may be able to give a speech that is so captivating and so dramatic and dynamic and it moves the needle to the point that you actually edge up over the 50% mark. Does anybody think, first of all, that Biden has the ability at this point in his life to do that? 
And does anybody think that he's going to do it? And even if he does, if he were to deliver a home run, you're still behind by 12. And you're, you've, you've, even if you hit a grand slam, you can't get out of the cellar with one speech. So I'm, I'm a little fascinated that some of the politicos and the, the, some of the shows I've been listening to are, are talking about, well, Biden's got a, a big job ahead of him tonight. He's, he's got to pull himself up out of the doldrums of th- this, uh, these bad polling numbers, and he, he's got to convince people that he ought to run for president again. With one speech? Are you kidding me? Especially when it's the State of the Union address. I mean, most of them are yawners. And this one's probably not going to be any different. So I don't I don't see any of that happening considering these numbers. Now, the numbers for independents are worse than even among Democrats. Among independents, 72 percent, according to these two polls, say that they don't want him to run for a second term. And when you look at all voters, let's say, you know, not just independents, Democrats, Republicans, everybody that is eligible or can vote, 62% say they would be disappointed or angry if he won re-election. Now, this is, this is more than we don't want you to run. This is if you do run and win, it's going to tick us off big time, and, and we're going to, you know, be howling at the moon over this. This would be, be like what happened when President Trump won, and you saw all those Democrats out yowling and howling. I mean, the, people in the, in the president's own party might be howling and yowling like that if he was to win re-election. At least that's according to the polling from Washington Post, ABC, and from ABC, uh, from the AP. Uh, Biden saying that the economy is doing very well, that inflation is actually lower than we, when he took office. Did you hear him say that? I think it was yesterday. Some reporters were shouting at him about the economy and, oh, the, the jobs report. You know, he was talking about the jobs. And the jobs report in January was 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 really good news, Five, and, unless you want inflation to cool off. I mean, that's the, the one downside is that 516,000 jobs added to the economy means that the Fed's probably going to keep raising interest rates, and that's bad for long-term investment. I mean, it's bad it, it, it with, for business that's trying or trying to get – businesses are trying to get loans to uh, hire more people or to build out their companies. I mean, it, it, as the interest rates go up, that's going to tamp down some economic growth. But you can't say that 516,000 jobs being added is a bad thing. Unemployment dropped down to 3.4%, and that's the lowest it's been in 54 years, which is a pretty good track record here um, for the economy starting in January. I mean, let's just be honest, and we should be happy about that, right? Because we are talking about the economy that affects all Americans, we don't want people to be in pain just because we don't like the administration, or at least I hope that that's the case. But this idea about inflation, let me tell you what the consumer price index was when Biden took office. The day, the year prior to him taking office, the inflation rate annualized was 1.4%. I mean, that's zero inflation. That it, it doesn't get a lot lower than that when it comes to price increasing. Do you know what it was for 2022? Six and a half percent, six point five. It got as high as eight, over eight percent. It is now averaged out for 2022 at six point five. And when we're looking at month to month, December's inflation rate was seven point one, 
and January's inflation rate had dropped down to 6.5%, which, again, you, you can expect to hear the president talking about this tonight. He's going to tout it. He's going to say that inflation is cooling off. What he's not going to tell you is that he's the reason inflation heated up. And if he does happen to say that inflation was high when he came into office, just keep this number in mind. Consumer price index average for 2021, 1.4%. For 2022, 6.5%. Um, or, or let me back up. When Biden took office, it was one4 in twenty going into 2021. And it rose to an annual um, inflation rate of 6.5. So it's just ridiculous for him to say that inflation, uh, well, you know, so it's inflation's been around. I, I didn't cause inflation. I, yeah, it's uh, that's something that uh, was, was bothering President Trump. And, and no, um, let, let's at least stick to the facts here. He's got some good numbers to go 517,000 jobs. Uh, that was a shocker. Most economists didn't think that we were going to be anywhere near that. Employment, unemployment rate down to 3.4. That's all good news, and we should celebrate it. But we're, with the headwinds are still high inflation, 6.5% is high. And, and the thing is, President Biden comes out and he tells the American people, look, you're being told that things are not good, and I'm telling you, they are good. And then they go to the gas station, they go to the grocery store, they go try to buy something, they try to, to, to take out a loan to do home improvement, they try to buy a car, and they find out what the interest rates are going to be. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense for the president to not acknowledge that because he sounds arrogant and out of touch. You remember George H.W. Bush was considered to be out of touch when he, he didn't know about a, super mar, a supermarket scanner that was scanning prices, and, oh, the press just went crazy, and here's he's cloistered, he doesn't know what's going on with the American people, and yet we have a president today who's going out there and telling people, hey, you, you guys are really in pretty good shape. You just don't know it. You're not... You're, you're listening to the conservatives, the mean Republicans over here are telling you that the economy's bad. No! Everyday Americans are getting up and facing the headwinds of high inflation, and they understand that even though their wages are, are, have gone up, they're losing money because of what things cost. And, you know, I'm not trying to give advice to President Biden, but I'm just saying he would be better off to acknowledge the pain that the American people are feeling and not just in passing. People really don't like it when you just go, well, I know you're kind of hurting out there. But look, the economy's really great. It's Look at the jobs. Look at the, look at the unemployment rate. Look, look, just imagine. People don't like that because it's almost like you're minimizing their day-to-day -day issues in order to try to score political points by telling us something that we don't feel. It'd be much better, better, I think, if the president, for him, if he were to come out and say, look, I've, I've, be like Bill Clinton, I feel your pain. I mean, it's just a little bit of empathy. Um, and you, you may be saying, well, don't tell him that because he might. No, uh, don't worry. I don't think the president's going to do that. Uh, first of all, I'm sure he doesn't listen to this program. And second... Um, I don't. Th I think if he did, he still the the aides are telling him to push this false narrative. You know, I got so carried away with my stories this morning and had them stacked up here to go through. I I, 
I've just completely slipped my mind that today's the day we talked to Representative William Timmons, and we want to welcome you to the program. That's a terrible thing on my part because I actually talked to Heather yesterday, and uh, we prepared some topics uh, to get ready to talk about this morning. So, anyway, welcome to the program. Good morning, Dr. Dean. Great to be with you. Yep. Well, it's good. To, it's good to have you listen, uh, listening and being on the program this morning. Let me ask you uh, first out of the gate. Of course, you know we've got Balloon Gate going on. Um, we've got the Chinese with a surveillance balloon taking about eight days to hang around over the United States before finally being shot down over this, um, not really the South Carolina coast, but out over the ocean. So, um, just I want I want to get your response to that. What what is your what are your thoughts about this balloon? I think it's the perfect example of our inability inability to project strength abroad. Um, it, it is a visual reminder that the Chinese uh, gave to the world that we cannot project force, that we do not have the the stomach to make decisions. Uh, and I think it's just yet another reminder that that we're not moving in the right direction on the global uh, on the global scale. You know, one of the things that really concerned me about this congressman is. Um, you know the fact that now now the the administration now says and intelligence sources now say they knew that the balloon was entering U.S. airspace. They were tracking it over the Aleutians, um, and I suppose they weren't going to say anything about it until somebody on an airliner spotted it, and then the press got a hold of it, and they had to talk about it. But now they're talking about incursions that have happened before that were not detected, which would indicate that we've got a security problem with our warning networks that we share with Canada. I mean, this is, this is something that really concerns me over this whole episode. Well, we've, been, we've not been briefed yet, but um, I, I saw the reports, the White House and the Pentagon saying that balloons crossed into U.S. airspace multiple times under the Trump administration. I, I don't know if you also saw that every single Trump uh, intelligence yes. official, both that like him and that don't like him now, said that's not true. Right. Uh, John Bolton came out, who does not like President Trump, and said um, that is just not true. John Ratcliffe was said, I, if anybody's going to know, it's going to be the director of national intelligence. And he said, and no one has ever told me about this. And so now they're saying, well, we, we knew about it. We figured it out later, and we're going to tell you about it. That's just nonsense. Right. They're trying to cover, uh, cover their behinds, and it's ridiculous. I mean, um, the, the, the Chinese are testing President Biden, and he failed. Let's talk a little bit about Javier Becerra, who has come out and basically declared that he has the ability to declare um, a public health emergency over abortion. Now, this has been done when we've had outbreaks of, of disease, when we've had national disasters that could lead to um, an outbreak of some type of disease. We've, we've declared a national health emergency. But in essence, what they're considering at Health and Human Services is declaring it an, a, a health emergency that women are pregnant in the United States and that this would greatly expand um, states that, well, for example, it would give the federal government the right to override states that have passed restrictive laws when it comes to abortion. Um, is there anything that can be done about this? Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's that's the most ridiculous thing. Uh, they probably could have gotten away with it with Speaker Pelosi still being Speaker, but um, they will not get away with it uh, with Republicans controlling the House. Um, he will have to answer uh, a lot of questions 
uh, he will have to answer subpoenas. Uh, there will be lawsuits, and he will lose. Um, so, uh, you know, they're trying to abuse any authority they have, and uh, the American people have told them that they do not want the, the country to go in the direction that they have been pushing it. So we're going to respond accordingly and uh, look forward to another election in two years where Biden will get to spend even more time in Delaware, which is hard to do. I don't even know. I mean, you know, he's, <laughs> he's spending at least half the year in Delaware. So uh, we'll, we'll let him spend the whole yeah. year. And he's doing that by choice. I mean, that's the crazy thing. Um, uh, all right. You, you know, it, it, what amazes me is the fact, uh, obviously, this administration is giving itself over to the most progressive pro-abortion administration in history. But it also has absolutely no respect for federalism, the idea that states have the right, according to the Supreme Court now, to make their own laws about abortion. And I would think if OSHA, if the Supreme Court stopped OSHA from requiring corporations to require the vaccine, then the Supreme Court would not sit by and let Health and Human Services declare an emergency over women being pregnant. Hopefully that would fail in the courts. It absolutely would fail. And, you know, I often think about back, I guess it was six years ago when I was campaigning and Trump was campaigning. Uh, I was campaigning for the state Senate. Trump was campaigning for president. And we always talked about how important the Supreme Court was. And every time that I think about that, I mean, the legacy of the Trump administration is right. going to be a, a conservative Supreme Court. And that's going to have really long-term impact. And we will continue to get uh, legally sound opinions that are based in law as opposed to a bunch of super legislators having their uh, way with the, the Constitution. So, uh, right. you know, we're in a much better spot than we could have been. Second State of the Union address tonight being delivered by President Biden. Will you be attending? I, I would imagine you would be. And what do you expect from President Biden tonight? I am attending. My dad's actually coming up as well. Uh, every member of Congress gets one, one guest ticket, so my dad's going to be in attendance. Um, I told him he needs to keep it in line, not 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 start screaming anything. I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> President President Biden is going to tell the world that everything's great. He's going to tell them that the economy's doing great, which is a lie. He's going to tell them that gas prices are going down, uh, which I guess as high as they were, they're bound to get down eventually. Uh, he's going to tell them that the, the, the border's secure. And I don't know if he's going to be talking about the southern border or our northern border. And he just let the Chinese come across. Um, you know, he's just going to try to tell the, tell the world and tell the American people that Things are a way that they are not. Um, and, you know, I think they're going to see through that. And I have a feeling he's going to mumble through a number of areas. He's probably going to misread some things. And it's going to be, going to be fun to watch. We were talking about some of the uh, polling numbers that suggest that a majority of his own party don't want him to seek a second term. Uh, and yet he's gearing up to run for reelection. So um he's he's got a lot of ground to make up i think and and as we said earlier in the program you can't do that in one speech um let me congratulate you for being uh, appointed to the house oversight and accountability committee uh tell me what you're looking forward to in serving in that area well uh we've already had uh one fun hearing which was on ppp fraud and um that was just honestly it, it was a lot of fun because we're we're back to Policymaking. From the hearing we had on PPP fraud, I'm, I'm going to be leading a, a, a bill that is going to result in uh, a lot of people getting arrested because the Department of Justice can't figure out who actually stole the money because they are not entitled to certain reports that are being run out of 
Treasury and the IRS. So um, that's just one example. This week we got hearings on uh, the southern border and we in Twitter. And uh, I'm going to be spending a lot of time with uh, Jim Jordan and uh, my friends from North Dakota, Kelly Armstrong, on questions for the different legal uh, counsel from Twitter. And we're going to have a, a line of questioning that's going to show the American people exactly how bad uh, the Department of Justice and Democrats in Congress colluded with Twitter to lie to the American people to steal an election. So right. um, I'm looking forward to serving on oversight. It's, it's really a, an unexpected uh, surprise. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun now. Well, congratulations on that. That's, uh, that's great for South Carolina that you're going to have a very high-profile role in looking at all these things. And, you know, it's interesting to me that you, you, you've got uh, the Twitter files that reveal that the real collusion that's been going on in the last uh, five, eight years has been between the federal government and social media, not between the Trump administration and Russia. So hopefully that's going to come out even more um, as these oversight uh, committees and, and the one that you're on, the Accountability Oversight Committee, looks into all these issues. Uh, Congressman, Dr. thanks. Bean, yes, uh, you, you're going to, you have to tune in. You have to tune in tomorrow because that is exactly where I'm going with it and I'm going to have a lot of fun. Oh, excellent. All right. Well, we'll do that. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing you. Congressman, thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to have you on the program and we look forward to next month's visit. Look forward to it, Dr. Bean. Be well. All right. We will uh, head up toward the top of the hour here. And uh, when we come back, we're going to dive into that CNN story that talks about a lot of the things that the president said about the economy that are not true. And one of the things we're going to try to do here always, uh, even going forward, um, when this program takes on a different form, is we're going to be concerned about the truth. And it's amazing that CNN is actually the news organization that called President Biden on these 14 things he said that were not true about the economy. Here's the news.